listening to Not Another Origin Story, the only comic book movie podcast to be passed on from generation to generation. I'm your host, Pogues, and I'm joined by my faithful dog that is a wolf, Ben Chapman. All aboard the Zane train, baby. That's right, we saw 1996 The Phantom starring action superstar Billy Zane. Billy Zane or oh. Zahn, I'm not really sure which way he says his name. <laughs> I'm going to go with Zane because it fits with my Zane train thing. I does. It works much better than Zahn train. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's true. Uh, this was certainly an interesting film. Sure, certainly was a film, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, we were we were talking a bit before this started. It feels like I've never seen a movie that has like such a clear plot. Feel like so little is happening. Yeah, this is this this is going to be the most unique movie I think we've done. That that because a lot of these films are superhero films or are vaguely superhero films, and they all sort of have like a general consensus. So this one steps pretty far away. It's like a yeah, weird one... Indiana Jones like serial adventure story that's done in three acts that are all written by i assume completely different people <laughs> uh actually this is something i want to bring up do you know who wrote this movie? i don't and i really i already know. i've already forgotten the guy's name but the point is he also wrote indiana jones and the last crusade the lost boys and lethal weapon two and three holy shit this man's a hero yeah this guy has written some great movies this not one of them oh yeah jeffrey bohm is his name yeah, okay, yeah. I could not believe also, that. Also, this, this, this apparently killed him because this was the last movie he ever did. Which, I mean, I could see that. Woof. It was it was shocking that I, when I went to start reading his, uh, his IMDb, I was like, holy shit, man. I don't know if it's maybe just because everybody in this movie is making such interesting actor choices that, like, maybe the script would be better had they – played it a different way although it is it's just not also a... that's fucking hilarious because the third act of this movie is so incredibly last crusade like yeah it's Except kind of amazing interesting parts <laughs> i think he took a cocaine break and phoned that one in <laughs> he was just like whatever i gotta turn this shit in real quick we all gotta take an occasional cocaine break um think about I, taking one right now exactly i i don't know if we can do our usual what this you know series matters to you i know of the phantom uh, I know the Phantom's pretty important, comic book-wise, uh, but I don't. I've never read Phantom comics and had an appreciation for them. Uh, have you? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I've maybe read. Uh, there has to be one of the, although maybe not, because we were talking before this too. Apparently, the Phantom serial comic that appears in newspapers is still going. Still going. Yeah, it was like restarted in like '96. I don't know how long it was. Uh, on hiatus or if it was at all but yeah it, it's since 96 a couple of guys have been doing it with the um with the okay of lee falk up until he died in 99 but uh yeah still still three panels still real boring. yeah we, we read them they're a little rough but uh so i maybe not because i was thinking i've read like the modern day yeah like uh the shadow and uh i read some of whatever the who's the guy with kato i cannot think of his name the green hornet yeah, the Green Hornet. I've read, I've read uh, like some of the modern comics about them. Another movie we're going to have to do soon. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> going to be. I feel like we should almost just do all of the pulp movies in a row, like yeah. do The Shadow with Alec Baldwin next, and then. Oh God. I mean, there's there's a ton of really bad pulp movies. Would League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Gentlemen count as a pulp one? It's sort of. Uh, I, I guess technically maybe. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I've. Maybe I had never read it, but I mean, I know who the Phantom was. I knew he was sort of like a proto, uh, you know, comic book character. He's been around for a very, yeah, you know, for a 
long time. And I, I can see stuff that's relevant. I mean, we're talking like skin tight costume, you know, punch and kick and crime, having a secret identity, having like a, a home base that you return to. Yeah, sort of a revenge, kind of like, you know, he becomes the Phantom because something awful happened to his family. Yeah, a ton of shit that you see done in comics. I mean, you know a lot of, like, things that we love right now came from people's uh, love of, like, serial shit, like Star Wars and Indiana Jones came from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas being obsessed with, you know, the serials they watched, like the, uh, what's the name of the popular guy who's traveled through space? God damn it. Uh, shit, I knew it right before you said it, now that you asked me. <laughs> it's like, uh, our podcast is mostly this, mostly us forgetting things the moment we say them and then having the audience go, God damn it, and yell it out alone. I know. I'm us. sure, like, right now, tons of people <laughs> are listening to this. What? Anyway, guy- my research also had me stumble across a thing I did not know existed, which was the 1994 three-season running television series called Phantom 2040, which was a Phantom series that took place when uh, in the year 2040, which is... <laughs> kind of somewhat close to where we are now. Uh, and of close course it's like super, super, super cyberpunk with like holographic, holographic, like, like uh, people that own, that live entirely in holograms and travel in flying cars. And I mean, like the batshit crazy shit that we think, you know, uh, <laughs> the future was going to be like, not things like, you know, massive economic collapse and Donald Trump. Um, it, I don't know. I feel like uh, that's the world of Judge Dredd. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's that's the one guy who got it right. Uh, uh, Buck Rogers. Uh, yeah, Buck Rogers. There it is. That's the that's the serial that was really influential on Star Wars. We got it, guys. We got it. You can stop yelling in your car in traffic. Um, the Phantom 2040 also spawned a Super Nintendo game of the same name. So, all right. Or it could have been Sega Genesis. I don't know. I don't actually. I don't actually care. <laughs> it's I do because I want. I want to play that game. I do kind of want to play that game. I'll be straight honest. I watched some clips of both of those things, and they look amazing. This TV series was done by the people who did Aeon Flux, so it has that weird. Everyone's kind of limbs are gangly and long. Yeah, like everyone's everybody's lanky as shit. Everyone's too tall. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I'm super in, and it's just like there's no music. It's super boring. I, I'm super into it. One thing I'm not super into was this movie. Speaking of boring, <laughs> here's an interesting fact. Either was the movie going populous. Nope, it, this was a critical bomb. In fact, it killed the chances of a trilogy they were planning for The Phantom and Mr. Yeah, which, at the end of this movie, I was like, how dare you set up a sequel? How dare you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. This movie, the budget was $45 million in 1996. That's a pretty big chunk of change, especially for a film that had, like, four locations, and one of them was just outside. Can I say the next part? Because I'm excited about this. I want to tell you what they did at opening weekend. Oh, I can only imagine. Opening weekend was $197,000. That's right. That, 1000 That is amazing. <laughs> that means it made... <laughs> Like $50,000 per theater it was in or less. That's shocking. It probably made less than the CEO's salary of the movie company that released it. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) I'm I'm sure that guy makes in the millions. It probably made less than, like, the DP of this movie made. (laughs) It it overall grossed about 17 mil, so less than half of the budget. So, yeah, a rough go for Mr. Zane. Um, yeah, this this movie definitely it really scrapped the chance for a sequel. Uh, they were definitely planning to do a trilogy, so it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's 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 no, it's not a good movie. <laughs> it's, apparently, Billy Zane was a big fan of the Phantom and really wanted to do it. Although I wish he fucking wasn't, because you know who his his uh, his backup choice was had he declined the film. Uh, yeah, I saw it. Now I don't remember who it Bruce was. Bruce Campbell. 
Oh, that's right. I think that's that a movie I'd be on board for. <laughs> I think that would have worked better because I think he would have played it more pulpy. Yeah, you would have fit in with some yeah. of the other performances. Lean one in, in particular. Camera. Absolutely. Um, additionally, the last thing we'll mention about this production of this film before we just start talking about what the fuck happens in this movie is uh, the poster. And it's f- a fucking amazing tagline. Do you want to? Yeah, I, I every so often, I'll, like when we do these movies, I usually go and just read the tagline just to see if there's like a really absurd tagline. And most of them are pretty like benign they like the Catwoman one was like catcher in 3d which only was funny because the movie was never released in 3d <laughs> yep so and usually they're pretty on the nose or whatever i think i i think it was time cough that we we read through them which were like not even they were pretty bad but this one is the most insane tagline i think i've ever heard for a movie which is slam evil You, if you gave me like a month to guess movies that that was the tagline for, the Phantom would never come up. Yeah, I would. I would guess like The Godfather before I would have guessed (laughs) Phantom. That doesn't that doesn't reference Pulp or any of his abilities or powers or his catchphrase or what? What is that? Slam evil. Maybe it maybe it means something from the comics that we just don't get. I feel but... like someone just read that off like a pog, like a pog slammer. Like <laughs> I don't think that's a real. Wow, thing. Ben's really dating us, guys. Do you remember <laughs> pogs? It was '96, guys. Come on, we were all that is pogs. True. Although I was shocked because watching this movie, the special effects are jarringly bad, terrible, are, are just horrid. And in my mind, I was like, man, this movie. Like came out the same time as Jurassic Park, and, and those special effects are, are pretty good. They still hold up. And then I looked it up, and Jurassic Park came out in 1993. So in three years, they like they must have just found the shittiest production house to do the special effects. Yeah, there's a scene where two skulls float, and they could not. I mean, it looks like it's from Jason and the Argonauts, that old like 40s movie. Yeah, I mean, it is. Any action scene had a confusing cgi element like those like the biplanes at some point look like claymation oh they, yeah the, the scene where they're all getting into the really big plane that's on the water that plane's not there it's cgi so i'm like did you guys not have a real plane or did you only build just the door anyway we are clearly excited to rip into this piece of garbage so yeah uh, let's jump into the uh, let's jump into pogues the quickest origin story in the history of this podcast let's jump into an opening which makes you think you might have missed something because it starts <laughs> with for those for those who arrived late and i was like why well, didn't this movie just started like is there yeah. something at the beginning and then it goes into as ben said like just i feel like they they had a meeting and they're like how do we want to do the origin and they're like ah just have some guy read it at the top I mean, it's it's like four sentences in the movie's in. Okay, like a, a guy's father we, is murdered. We got the guy to read it, but he has to be at another appointment in like four minutes. Do you think we can get him in? We're yeah. gonna have to edit this down big time. Don't worry, he'll just say plane crash, show a child, and the end of the Phantom's origin story begins. Like that's literally all that you have to eat to, to chew on for the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's so. like it's just like in two because the movie starts like so abruptly with like an opening title card. Like I wasn't even paying attention at first because I was like, what kind of title card? And so as near as I could tell, the plot is four hundred years ago. A white man saw his father be murdered by a group of pirates. Rough go. The the Shang or the Zhang Brotherhood. Yeah. Which they say about twenty eight times in this movie in rapid succession. Oh my God. But uh, and then he lands on an island where some 
African natives take him in, I guess, and well, he becomes the hero of this African country? Pause. I don't know where the fuck this is, because the the real Phantom, I'm pretty sure, was based in some African country, or I think it moved around because... Well, they, they call it Bengala, which yeah. is not a country. But everyone in it is clearly, like, uh, like a Pacific Islander, or potentially, like, like from Thailand, or potentially from India or Pakistan. It's very... Yeah, I guess you are right. They do, in the movie, they definitely look more like... No one's African in this movie. Not as a single person. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always thought that maybe I just made that up, but I thought in my mind the original Phantom's base of operation was a country in Africa. Now, in the comic, it, it's, it, it moves a couple times, I think, because of, I don't know, racial tension. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, it definitely was – I think it was based in Africa at some point, or maybe it was based in India at some point. Maybe I'm super racist, guys. I don't know. We'll never know. <laughs> but either way, it's confusingly uh, blank where he is. Not that I guess it really matters. I guess you are right. He must be in some sort of Indian country country because that guy is dressed like an extra from temple of doom they, yeah statement. a lot of people are <laughs> they got a lot of props from temple of doom but i guess he worked on you know indiana jones the third one so he was true he was like i love it i'm a fan of a franchise i know a guy i now, this guy the, the movie starts after this opening where they explain who the phantom is and immediately goes into a group of people who are not the phantom and more importantly are, like not the villain either they're the, they're the second yeah, it's, of the it's villain. James Remar yeah. doing a very interesting choice. Like his voice in this is just weird to me. But they're driving in a truck with some kid leading them, and they're looking for something. They have a map. There's a little bit of comedy relief. The one guy must say Quill, which is the person's name, at the beginning and end of every sentence. Like I've never. They said his name so many times at the beginning. And I was like, well, I guess this guy must be important because they will not stop saying his name. It's so, it, it was this whole movie was an exercise in things in a script that that to a common person wouldn't seem out of place until you put them in a movie and go, oh, that sounds weird. Like, yeah, like you don't realize that like in real life people don't address each other by their name in every sentence because you probably know who you're talking to, especially when you're. The only two people in the cab of a truck who speak English. Also, I felt like this movie at a couple points was the prequel to other films. Do you think maybe this is Peter Quill's father? Do you think that's, yeah, that's, that's possible? <laughs> was building up for Marvel, guys. That's the big reveal. James Remar. Oh, my God. Uh, I'd be into it. Now, there's a scene where they drive across this rickety bridge, and they have the kid do it. Yeah. But it's, like, perfectly fine. So I'm just like, I get that they want to make it be, like, rickety bridge so you know it's going to come back. But on the other hand... I was like, couldn't they just driven across it? Couldn't they just walked too? Because it didn't seem yeah. that far. And, and yeah, it, and then it feels like they they drove like twenty feet past that and then stopped. I also think that as a note, as we get into this, we'll have to paint scenes uh, as best we can because I guarantee you, nobody watched this movie. <laughs> Which I, I I don't know. I can't even really say you should watch. No, it. I definitely don't say you should. You get bored. You get bored. But the gist is these these guys are coming in to rob uh, a cave of some kind of its of its jewels, and they just have like a weird child with them uh, of indeterminate origin or purpose. He's just yes. sort of like their prisoner, but he's also kind of like amused by the whole thing, so it's unclear. And it feels as though he told them he would take them there for money. Yeah, but then they also just sort of like carry him and tie him up. And just... Yeah, it, it's very weird because it, it sort of seems like later that – when the Phantom's talking to him, he says, well, stay away from the bad guys next time. And yeah. it's like, so did he go to them on purpose? I couldn't figure that well, part out. to be honest, a lot of these scenes, uh, many of these scenes felt improvised. And I'll get to that in the third act, which is basically just being made up on the spot, line oh, by line. God. But the, uh, the, the, the Temple Raiders, who feel like either those guys who steal that cross in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, 
or just like every other they, character besides they, they are shockingly like the guys yeah. who robbed the cross and it, like the one guy has an Indiana Jones hat on yep like that kind of you know fedora the way they look they go into this tomb which is straight up Raiders of the Lost Ark and at first it appears as though they're just stealing skulls just rant like yeah. people skulls like human being skulls but they're looking for a specific skull which the one guy finds in front of a like bound uh, up like, skeleton yeah, yeah, like a mummy that's standing up. Right. And then the mummy comes to life and kills him, question mark? And then the movie just goes on. Yeah, he's like, the the guy, uh, Remar's like, oh, that mummy came alive and killed him. And the other two guys' reaction is if he said, he just had a heart attack. Yeah, and also... Like, even not even that. It's like you just said, he had a sandwich. Like, they are so, like, nonchalant about the fact a man was possibly murdered by supernatural beings. They're just like, huh. And more importantly, the, the main villain guy is looking at his friend when he's strangled. He watches the life leave his eyes, and then he runs up. A, not that upset. Could just be a bad person. Who knows? B, doesn't look at, question, or pay attention to the skeleton two feet away that just rose to life. And I'm, I'm, yeah. talking, I'm not talking like a corpse here, people. I'm talking like literal like, like anatomy room skeleton. Yeah, just covered in, like, uh, necklaces yeah. and headdress. And, but, and like, this... what I thought was crazy was I thought that the Phantom did that. Yeah, I, I thought was it was going to the... be... Because they set up... The kid sets up that it's protected by the ghost who walks, who's right. the Phantom. Yeah. I thought it was, like, a booby trap. Like, it would cut to him, like, with ropes or something, and he had just sort of, like, mechanically made it so it would just, like, yeah. grab but... somebody, you know, or something. Then it turns out he's inside of uh, Skull Mountain, He's where little... their introduction to him is so many shots of skulls on things that it was just... I felt like they were just putting them on stuff to cut to. Like, there's the skull on his belt. There's the skull that he lives in. There's the skull on his ring. There's the skull on the horse harness. His, his like, onesie wow. it has a skull design on it. Yeah, like a real... Like, it looks like a Day of the Dead outfit. Like, we're talking about onesie in purple, but, like, instead of just being a flat purple, the the front is sort of, like, like, like detail lines that if you, like, stop and look at it from a distance, it's a skull. So, yeah, a lot of skulls. Weird that he's not the skull, but... <laughs> I guess he's the ghost who walks, but I... All right. So he shows up in, in the first of what is many really boring fight scenes, but also when he first arrives and he's chasing after them in the truck, that stuntman is aggressively not Billy Zane. Like, he yeah. is much thinner. He has a much... like He has, like, a really, like, hawkish kind of note. Like, he looks nothing like Billy Zane. And they focus on his face, like... He, it's so clear that you're like, that's definitely not Billy Zane. <laughs> like, I know what Billy Zane looks like. That is not him. They might as well just have gotten, like, someone from whatever country they were filming in to, to, to do Billy Zane. Because that's how, like, out of place it was. Like, it, yeah, it was shocking when they, like, with the first shot, I was like, holy shit. I'm like, that is not, like, it's very clearly. Usually, I, you you know, sometimes there's movies where you're like, you can't tell. But this time, I I just was surprised they made no effort to make it look like him. I also kind of remembered him being, like, a Batman-like character. Not necessarily against guns, that's not what I mean, but I mean, like, you know, like, about strategy and stealth and, like, ambush and, like... Well, I remember him doing something in the movie, which turned out was a, a memory that I had created in my mind. <laughs> but his opening scene is is they're, like, leaving with the skull, and he just rolls up on his horse, just fucking firing a... Like a yeah, and, a and this, guy, this was what I also found weird. I know they were going for, like, a PG-13 rating so they couldn't really show people be killed, or, you know, like, there's limits, right. but... He runs up with a gun, and this guy goes to shoot him with a machine gun, and he just shoots the gun out of his hand. 
why didn't he just keep shooting them? Like, yeah. why did he let them run away? That's all he does with the gun, and then he, he executes a pretty, like, risky fight scene jumping into a truck, which just goes horribly. By the way, all of his fights go badly. Well, yeah, first he grabs a guy who's standing up and holds him while he rides his horse and just holds him till he hits a tree. Yep. Which was weird, and then he does have a fight scene on a truck that has a religious artifact in it. Yep, sure felt sim. Sure felt. I mean, it is wow, like yeah. very similar to to the fight in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like it he is. opens the door, the guy kicks him out, he comes back in. They're punching each other. They try to shoot him through the glass. I, it's like. I was I was shocked at the beginning to be like, wow, this is what they came up with, and it, it's like the same truck too. Like to be yeah. to be clear, it's like the same like because this movie takes route. place at the same time as Raiders, like yeah. four years before Raiders of the Lost Ark is supposed to take place. And 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 he executes a poor fight scene, which he loses ultimately. He he hangs on to the truck as it goes across the bridge, which he could and, easily have let go of. Well, and the other problem is, all right, he he's involved in these really bad fight scenes, but he is fighting. Like most of the time, middle-aged or older men who are either mo- like this. I mean, Remar, I guess, is a part of the Zhang Brotherhood, but he's not like he's in great shape or they've shown him to be a badass or anything. Right. He's just a guy. So it's like, and then later he has this horrible fight with these two mobster guys. But you're like, he's beating up mobsters very poorly. They're, they don't know how to fight. They're mobsters. They just shoot people. Yeah, I mean, it's he never feels like he. The only people he ever feels like he beats up is a woman. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't think he ever actually hits a woman. Um, but at some point around here, like he has this dramatic uh, uh, bridge bridge collapse sequence, which which looks terrible in CGI. And if you and just, by dramatic, you mean so long and boring. Yeah, just a lot of hanging. Like from vines. scene that scene takes like three minutes, and the whole time you understand that the truck is going to fall off and he's going to get him away to safety. Yeah. So you're waiting for nothing, and it's like the world's boringest and stupidest save the cat moment just so you know that he's a hero he saves the boy who was tied up in the truck yeah uh, i assume he adds to his entourage of weird boys that run his mansion that is true the boy did appear later taking care of his his well, uh, more than one because we cut to after we after we pop in with some uh with some colonizing british men just to add to the weirdness of of the of the white hero yeah, champ- it, championing through through it, i don't like, know India. It's, it seemed like their cut to those guys was supposed to be like, you know, these guys. And I'm like, no, I don't. I yeah, don't I still don't are. because we They're listen to the we random guys. Yeah, we listen to them talk. One of them knows of the Phantom and knows him intimately and is trying to convince his superior that he's someone that should that, that they, no, they his, should. His inferior. He's his, trying to right. tell subordinate that there is no such person as the Phantom. Right, it's and confusing. The, yeah, and so, but he knows him. He's met the Phantom and talked to him. They're friends. And, and you think that's going to be hugely relevant? Um, it isn't. Well, it felt to me like they were trying to set up like a like a Jim Gordon Batman thing. Exactly. Yeah, which I'm sure is the way it was, like in the comic story that they're they're aping in this. But the problem is, is there's no early scene where we see him knowing that, like, the scenes are in the wrong order. You know what I mean? Like. I- we should have seen them be talking and then have him – because, like, at that point, you're just like, okay, that guy doesn't think the Phantom exists. That was a real pointless scene. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? There's no reason for that scene to be in the movie. Now, if they had been in the opposite order, at least you could be like, oh, I see. He's pretending like the Phantom doesn't exist for – I still am not sure what reason. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucking bizarre. But I want to – because this comes up because they cut back to the mansion a couple times. And A, he has a mansion in his skull. I don't, I don't know how, but I, it's fine. 
it, it's a, I wouldn't call that a mansion. It's more of like a cave. I mean, we're talking like there's like a library with like. No, I mean, you could put shelves, winding staircases, and like elegant furniture. Anyway, um, he's in his weird little like skull house, and he has a, like a weird servant boy tending to his wounds, and he's costume removed. So this this is like his Robin. You think he must know who he is? He must. Well, he's like his his, his Alfred, Alfred, except for disturbingly young. Except that you then go into another room and find that he has two more Alfreds. <laughs> One Did of he? One of them is just running a generator by hand. Wow, I must have looked down. I did but, not see yeah, that. Yeah, at some point, one of them intercepts... Uh, it's, it's about midway through the movie when they intercepts the call for that plane being taken down, which we'll get to. But but he... Yeah, he's just got a, a second and a third uh, boy in that mansion. And one of them is just cranking a generator so he can listen to the radio and intercept this signal. I'm like, how long is he there? Just listening to radio. Well, maybe that. Maybe that's why generator. he's set up in Bengala because there's no child labor laws. That is what he, he has a boy. <laughs> I want to be clear here. The white hero in India land, whatever. Yeah, they, they in have here, in Malaysia country. Yeah, place. is is just using children as literal power sources. In it his feels like it might be like a Jerry Glitter situation too, you know? It's like, so weird. And they're so- alone out in the jungle. He just has like three. And these guys are like at best. The one kid is at oldest 14 or 15 years old. It's, it's not like he's like a 20-year-old kid. He is like a young teen. It is yeah disturbing because you're like, where the fuck's this kid's parents? Like, right. why don't they live there too? Did he save them and said, okay, now you're going to come to my mansion and just run my power? And, and uh, delicately dab stuff on my, my well. <laughs> and make me dinners. Like, it's upsetting. And they don't have any other role in this movie. They just hang out around the around Billy Zane and tend to his, his muscular torso and, and, and run his generator and fetch him food. It's so Yeah, weird. I mean, you got to give credit, though. Zane really balked up in the days when do you actors think, didn't do that shit. That's true. But do you think maybe that this shot were, these shots were just filmed um, within uh, Billy Zane's apartment? Like as it was, like like young, uh, it, it young tie boys like, and all. <laughs> it feels like a lot of these sets are from other films. Yeah, it does. and they just like snuck on during days that they were closed down. Like the the nineteen twenties New York City looks vaguely like the or the nineteen thirties looks vaguely like the nineteen twenties New York from Time Cop. It, and it so I just sure feel does. like I feel like they were shooting this Time Cop and like. Uh, the Untouchables at the same time, and one and just studio. and had like one backlot that was like, here's the 1920s to 50s. So sticking with the 20s, we got to get to someone. My favorite fucking person. In fact, the the maybe the one thing that could make you watch this movie. Wait, hold on. Before we go, because I think you're going to the bad guy. Yes, I am. Okay. Before then, can we just talk real quick? Sure. In this same scene where Billy Zane is reading out of a gigantic book, which is like the half the height he is. A, by the way, a book that's supposed to clearly been, like, written in pen and is, like, printed off of the world's shittiest Xerox. Anyway, continue. Yeah, it is It is so clearly not, like... It's illustrated. They show it, they show it in two shots. Yeah. you think they could have just drawn those two pages. They never show them flipping through the rest of the book. But uh, an old man shows up and is talking to oh, right. uh, Billy Zane the Phantom. And then it turns out that that is apparently the ghost of his father. Now... Was there really a ghost, or is Billy Zane insane? Uh, I think he's in, in, insane. Because, like, the ghost doesn't just show up in helpful times. It just feels like he shows up to kind of, like, 
be mad at him. Like he he yeah. gets mad that he lost the skull. He gets mad that he won't ask the girl out. He gets mad at him for something else. It's just like this skull just seems to be or this old man just seems to basically be here to tell you you fucked up. So and since they don't, it's very unclear. Like, are people aware of the supernatural? Or are they not? I just found that very bizarre that they never address why he can see him. Yeah. And at this point, I'm like, isn't then technically the ghost who walks immortal? And like you said, he doesn't pop up in anyone like relevant. And it also lines up with this movie's bizarre, <laughs> bizarre appreciation for magic that just kind of comes and goes. Like, yeah. And the the thing that makes me think he's crazy is when he's in the cab. The cab driver can't see the ghost. So yeah. Like nobody gets the sense. Yeah. It's just magic. It's again. It's either insanity or magic. Six cents. And this movie wobbles through both. Like again, we have the skeleton that kills a man that nobody cares about. Then the movie goes back to being the most normal movie, except for a guy in a purple suit for like an hour, and then suddenly everyone's got laser rings. Like it's insane. It feels like the idea of these skulls and the power they have. It feels like it's just like common knowledge. Like oh yeah, Yeah. of course there would be a weapon that you could get and connect. It's insane. It's... Yeah, I just I thought that thought that was a weird inclusion, but we are introduced. We go back. We're in New York City now uh, at the Playboy Mansion, which is supposed to be uh, a guy who owns a newspaper. This is back when newspapers actually made money, and uh, he is having a party. And the the real villain of the movie shows up. <laughs> the real star of this fucking movie is what you mean. Uh, yeah, this is when I said actors were making interesting actor choices. No more interesting than this man. It is Treat Williams, whose name is very fitting for this because watching him act is just a treat. Such a treat. Basically, they said, uh, Treat, we gave you a character that couldn't possibly be real. So could you be the least real person uh, in every scene? (laughs) I feel like at the end of every cut, like every take they did, the director would come over to him and just be like, could you do it just a little bigger? <laughs> because he is so over the top and he gets worse as the movie goes on. The The end of the movie is just like, I like Ben said, it had to be an improvised monologue in which he is like yelling at somebody who's like four feet away from him as if he's having a conversation. He's just, it's, he sounds like an old timey radio announcer. On top of it, he's, he's delivering this, like the weight of, like, not a villain. Like, he doesn't seem scary or intense or frightening at any point. No, Ever. he seems like he should be comic relief. Yeah, he seems like a goofy sidekick in most of the scenes. He's always got a grin on his face, which you think is going to be, like, a facade that he drops and he's, like, really intense. And you're like, oh, shit. I, oh, he's – like, um, uh, uh, the guy who's in, like, Inglorious Bastards, the, the Nazi villain – uh, dude, whose name again? Uh, I'm yeah. so bad with names. Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz. He's really good at like giving you a big smile and then turning it off and becoming like really scary. Treat just does the first part badly for two hours. He just uh, yeah. I mean, his conversation is shocking, and he sounds like he's like they were like this movie takes place in the 30s, and he was like got it old timey voice, and they were like no, you can just talk in your normal voice. He was like no, 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 no. I'm gonna be the guy who's like Dateline. Like, everything he says sounds like he's getting ready to start announcing, you know, war as approaching Europe, you know? And he's, but he's yelling. It's just the most insane take on a character. This report coming to you from Xander Drax. Yes, that's Xander. Starts with an X and ends with an X. Yeah, later in the film, he spells his own name. (laughs) 
Yeah, from start to finish. God damn it. God damn this movie. <laughs> but without pausing, so it sounds like his name is Xander Drex, as if it's one word. He doesn't really make it clear that it's two separate words. Also, uh, to all the mothers out there, if you really want your son to be an evil, evil villain, give him a name like Xander Drex. Because can you fucking imagine that name anywhere else but in tied to an evil CEO? Like... Like, can you imagine the guy at 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 H and R Block doing your taxes being Xander Drax? Like, it just it doesn't line up. It doesn't. It does not. Or if, if it does, something ter- something yeah, bad. Yeah. If your dentist is Xander Drax, like, just leave. Just <laughs> bail. Because he's probably has a laser that's going to try to cut you in half. Exactly. Uh, from this point on, we meet Xander Drax, who wants skulls real bad. Real yes. Bad. And. Uh, but we this also the, meet the other relevant character, which is Diana Palmer. Who's, yes, who's – wait, I'm just going to say this real quick. Her yeah. father is a newspaper reporter. Yes. Or owns a newspaper, and he's going to do an expose on Drax. And one of the things he's going to expose is that Drax has been going to the public library and reading about the occult. Yes. Uh, actually, I believe the exact word he explains when trying to tell everyone how evil he is is he says that he has been caught – Going to the library and reading esoteric volumes. Oh. Those are the words he Esoteric volumes. How villainous. Yeah, it it sounds like he's like the like a poorly written character from like an HP Lovecraft story. Yeah. Like It I, sounds like he caught Xander reading like weird fetish like shit. Yeah, that's really what it is. Library. That's so esoteric. <laughs> it's tentacle rape porn. <laughs> he's gotta be a villain. But yeah, so we meet uh who will end up being the love interest in a shocking turn of events. And an extremely boring addition to this movie. Yeah, she shows up. She's supposed to be like a tomboy, I guess. She goes and she meets up with uh, a guy who, I guess, wants to be her boyfriend. And Another super relevant character. He delivers one of the weirdest lines in this movie, which is saying something, because it's a movie full of terrible lines. But she's making a sandwich, and he says, gosh, you're pretty in those woodsy clothes. Uh-huh. And then they have... And then just kisses her. And then just try, kisses her, and she seems really upset and uncomfortable. And at some point, he's like, what you making? And she turns to look at him, like, because he, like, tastes, like, her food. And he, he, you think she's going to be something like, ah, oh, I'm eating, like, creepy thing I got from the jungle, like, that you're going to go, ew, gross. Like, she makes a face like she's going to say something gross to him to, like... Yeah, that'll teach her to, like, fuck with me and eat my food. But then she turns and goes, mm, a baloney. And then well, she's, she's saying it because right before then he says something about how they're made for each other or something. And how they're, they're supposed to be together. And then he says, What's, what, kind, what, do you make, what kind of sandwich are you making? And she says, baloney. Because it's supposed to see, that's what you call clever writing, Ben. I, I, it doesn't work. It just looks like she said baloney. As oh, it does not. That's what the deli meat is. And, and then the scene cuts, and I was like, why? Why did I see that? Why did I watch a character I don't know or care about make a deli sandwich? Before, ah! <laughs> why did you cut the origin to one and a half minutes, and then you give me four minutes of a woman making a sandwich? Yeah, and What are you doing? <laughs> because I read something online that that character, uh, his name's like Jimmy Wells or something. Yeah. Was introduced in the in the very first like Shadow Comics, and the original idea he was going to do was that was going to be the Shadow's secret identity, and so he played off as this goofy playboy. But then he decided that the the Phantom would be like a world traveler. He wouldn't just be centered in New York, so he's like, well, he can't be a guy who lives in New York City and has like a penthouse because that would be crazy. 
So he changed it, and he eventually just wrote that guy out of the story. But they, I guess, thought enough of this character who even the writer of the comic was like, eh, I shouldn't have left him in. They put him in this movie for some reason and give him, like, two scenes. It's weird. I, I don't know why they were like, you know what this movie needs? Some Jimmy Wells or whatever the fuck his name was. <laughs> yeah, like a vague reference to the comic's backstory that no one will know. Yeah, like it's not like you're like, you know what this movie me- needs? It's like J. Jonah Jameson or, you know, let's throw in a well-known character who's not going to be big in this story. But, I mean, like you said, nobody knows who the Phantom was in 1996. You're, you're trying to capture a whole new youth market based on comic book movies kind of being popular. I don't know why this film of all of these films seemed to be the most reverent to the source material to a degree where you're just like, eh, you didn't need to do it for that. But here's the thing. At this point, we get to the part of the movie that I wish was the whole movie and not just a scene in the movie, which is um, which is uh, Diane or Diana uh, agrees to go out to the jungle to do some research for her father. And she takes a plane which gets ambushed by uh, someone Drax has hired, the coolest characters in... Again, I, what, I, what I realized, what, like, re- recounting this movie, is the characters, the other villain characters besides the Phantom are fucking way more interesting. Treat's doing this insane shit we already talked He's being a clown on camera. He's amazing. And then we introduced this gang of fucking air pirate, pirates led by Catherine Zeta-Jones. What is insane is uh, in the the field of really bad special effects is these planes show up and every plane in this fucking movie is a pontoon plane. Like, I don't know if like some company was like, we'll give you all the planes you need as long as you make them pontoons. Like, I've never seen that many seaplanes in my life. At one point, Xander flies out of New York City out of like the New York, whatever, JFK airport. Not obviously not JFK yet, uh, but but just flying out of the main airport in a fucking pontoon plane to the Bermuda Triangle or whatever version of it they were saying it was. That is too far. Yeah, the that fact is, that for some reason they can't call it the Bermuda Triangle was something that really yeah is that I could license? not figure out. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> did did they call Bermuda and they were like, no, you're not. No. They call it the Devil's Vortex. Yeah, which just sounds like a weird sex move. Which yeah, I don't know if that's like another name for. You ever do the Devil's Vortex? Oh yeah, one time. <laughs> she was not happy. Yeah. You gotta give them a Spider-Man kiss afterwards, or else they're really upset with you. Did you ever do the Spider-Man kiss? <laughs> so we got Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Should have asked Sarah when she was on last time. Uh, but but basically, she's on this fucking old '30s aircraft, and a bunch of biplanes run by fucking awesome badass gangster women fly in in their goddamn. 1930 call them badass. They are. They look like they're flapper dancers, but they're also like badass pirates. And they're wearing those like uh, leather caps with like the goggles. And yeah, Catherine, they're just like it's World War One. And Catherine Zeta Jones is their captain. And I, like clearly they have a system because they have a boat and a bunch of planes and like kind of like a costume thing going on. So the implication is that these <laughs> these this gang of women just fly around capturing commercial aircraft and robbing everyone. Where's that movie? Give me that. Don't give me this Phantom Zane bullshit. I want to watch this. Yeah, so for some reason, the Phantom has, like you said, the boy listening into the radio and discovers this plot. Yeah. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Like, is that what he does? Because he's like in the middle of the jungle. How many people are reporting stuff via the radio? I don't know how he picks up on it, but yeah, he's in the middle of the jungle. Also, yeah, how good is his reception that he's picking up radio calls from like... (laughs) 
the, the you know, out in the middle of the ocean. He's got a stack of about 12 uh, Indian boys just on each other's shoulders with a with a metal pole just holding it. Oh, probably. In the yeah. Just then not... after this, he goes... Did we to come down? No! <laughs> That's all here. All about the air traffic today. A Billy Zane, goddammit! Well, his name's Kit Walker. No, it isn't. It's Billy Zane. Yes, I... Zane train. He goes and meets with... Are you with, not uh... entertained? Come on. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> he goes and meets with uh, the captain of the... And you're like, oh, that guy did know him. That's not an interesting twist. Yep. And he finds out that the woman who was kidnapped is a girl he knew when he went to New York to be educated. This and this starts... Sorry, I thought I was going to sneeze for a second. This gives us some real Rachel Dawes bullshit coming on. Uh, uh, yeah, but I mean, this is in the comics, so I'll give him this, but it's... Yeah, totally. He he goes to rescue her, and he lands on a plane, and, you know, or he goes out there, he brings his dog, Devil, with him, who's a wolf, and... Uh, nothing cool. No, because you can't, they didn't have a trained wolf. He just, also, he barks. there is the line, in, in another crazy line, which is, when Devil shows up and is guarding somebody, Diane says to the Phantom... Your dog's a wolf. No, it, it's a wolf. It's not a dog. <laughs> like, but his response was, I know. Yeah, equally stupid. Uh, so he, I don't know, there's... I'll tell you know. what happens. I, I know exactly what fucking happens here. Is Billy Zane rolls onto this boat, which is now holding her from the plane. And the plane, like, left, I guess, and went back. And <laughs> now, Yeah, they let the rest of the plane go. They just wanted her. Now they have this captive, and... It's just Catherine Zeta-Jones sort of doing a sexy interrogation. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the thing that's crazy is she doesn't want them to see that she has a drawing of the Sang Brotherhood tattoo, which is straight up just a spider web. You yeah. could, if you looked at it for like four minutes and you didn't know how to draw it all, you could recreate it instantly. And like, she, it is yeah. not a complicated... And she has it, like, she's trying to hide it from them, which I could not figure out... It's tattooed on a lot of people in this movie. It's not something that's super secret. Yeah, and, and like, what's going to happen if they see it? Because I thought at first that Drax what like ran the Zang Brotherhood, but then it nope. turns out no, he doesn't. He's not. He's not at all involved. And I, I, I kind of wanted, <laughs> I kind of wanted Catherine Taylor Jones to pick up the envelope and look at the drawing, and then just be like, "Oh, you doodling? Okay," and then yeah. just move on <laughs> because that's because all they played is like that's the all that it looks like. It's but like no. they play it like she's trying to like hide like as if yeah. she's going to open it up and it's going to be like Drax is the murderer. Yeah. You know what I mean? But there's nothing. If you saw it, you'd just be like, okay. The Phantom shows up and they and and he immediately like ignores her, like the clear kidnapper in the room, and just runs to Diana and puts his back to her and just a just a bunch of things as if she's not in the room. It's well, really weird. Woman, yeah, it is very bizarre. He gets her free. Catherine Cedar-Jones just grabs him and kisses him, which is odd. Yep. And then Diana punches him because the Phantom never actually hits a woman. Right. Yes. Uh, when, he's, when, he, when he opens up a, a door to the women's changing room, we see a bunch of 1930s uh, underwear. He backs up and says, sorry, ladies. And then one of them pulls a gun and he jumps down a laundry chute. Yeah, he does the weirdest little hop. I, I got to record that and just put it on loop. Yeah, it's very because you don't like at first you just see him jump and you're like, where the fuck's he going? Yeah, and then he just disappears and you're like, I guess that was a hole. They don't cut <laughs> wide shot fast enough, so it looks like he's just doing. Look at me, hop! Like, it's well, you like, also have no idea where he is, so it yeah. appears as though he's just like, I know there's a hole in this floor. But... <laughs> yeah, it's a really weird. I... Yeah, it's just very bizarre. All of a sudden, he just you. like jumps and disappears in the floor. It's like it's a magic <laughs> trick. Again, this movie's 
bizarre balance with magic and reality. Uh, then he boards a pontoon plane. Wait, before that, he has one of the boringest, laziest fights I've ever seen. And again, he's not good at what he does. He basically, the only reason he ends up winning is because the wolf shows up. Yeah. Yeah, the wolf shows up and kind of growls at people. Again, this is the coolest thing it'll do all movie. It's a huge waste of this goddamn cool-ass wolf who is named Devil, which is awesome. Uh, again, though, not named Skull. A lot of Skull imagery. Not a lot of people named Skull or anything like Skull. Anyhow, uh, but he, he hops aboard that pontoon plane because that's all they have in 1930. Uh, and he flies away. He takes a lot of gunfire. Doesn't think to be concerned about his fuel line. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. When he finds out that he, he's losing fuel... They cut to a shot of the plane, and it's like the wing is right by his head, and somehow he didn't notice that all – and it's like – not like you see like liquid like kind of dropping out. It's as if there's like a steady stream, like it's a yeah. faucet of just yeah. gasoline. I'm like, how did he not see that, and where was he going? Yeah, he flies away really far. He just needed to go around like the the, the corner. Like he doesn't yeah. need to go anywhere. And I don't know where he's going because it's a pontoon boat. Yeah, but he, but he flew into the middle of the jungle, and then I was like, fuck, fuel – then they execute kind of a cool stunt. And actually, this, this felt like this was the pitch for the movie. Was like yeah. while they explained, it was like they're gonna, we're gonna have a scene where he jumps off of an airplane onto a horse. Because and it's kind of a neat scene because it's a real stunt. Yeah, yeah, they really get a plane pretty low. It probably on a crane, maybe I assume, but they, they they get it at least fictitiously low, and someone leaps off of a moving thing and then jumps onto a moving horse and then catches her. It's it's kind of fucking cool. Except was, for it takes so long for yes. him to actually make the jump that you, it's, like, really boring. And then the plane flies off and hits a mountain and it explodes. Oh. And then instantaneously, the bad guys drive out of the jungle. So it's like the whole – how they caught up to a motherfucking plane, I do not know. Because planes move much faster than trucks. And he flew over the bay and then over into jungle. the jungle. Yeah. And so I don't through know. mountains. And, like, I the – they, they all get in a truck, like, let's get them. And I'm like, you guys can't get them. And then they just show up a minute yeah, it's later. It's crazy. It's like instantly. So you're like, that whole plane scene was pointless. Yep. Just wanted to do the stunt. Um, at this point, as we do in a lot of movies, uh, when this weird second to third act transition, it gets super dry, dull, and I don't remember most of it. But that really, doesn't matter. Really? If, you don't remember the scene where Catherine Zeta-Jones and uh, the Zang Brotherhood guy show back up? And they show him the silver skull they got, and she says, we shined it up with toothpaste, and it cleaned up real good. Yep, I do remember that. And then <laughs> he just says, toothpaste, huh? And then that's the whole, don't know why that's in there. Uh, I don't know why a lot of this is in there, including when he goes to New York City uh, to what you think will be a cool fish-out-of-water story, where he'll be like, I don't really know what to do in New York City. Oh, I they try that, the though, which is... This this is what I found weird, is, all right, he shows up, and he tries to pay him in Bengali money. Yeah. The motherfucker lived in New York City. He knows you can't use non-American currency. Yeah, and he seems to be known internationally. Like, pirates in the Bermuda Triangle know him and have fought other phantoms. So it seems like he, like, doesn't just hang out in his jungle all day. He knows other places, but apparently not enough to know that currency exists. Uh, and then he well, just... and then he pays the cab driver in what had to be, even back then, thousands of dollars. Oh my god, so in, much. In, in rare, like, rubies, opals, like, yeah. just extremely expensive stuff. And it, I guess they were trying to create, like, a sidekick, but it really felt like the cab driver in The Shadow. Because yeah. there's a cab driver in that, too. Yeah. And I, I was just like, I guess in the 30s, you can't really have him do anything else, because who else owned a car? But... 
And then, as if we didn't think Treat's performance could reach another peak, Treat motherfucking Williams delivers a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> no, that's not. Is that right then? It's around that time when they're in New York. Yeah, I can't. I can't ruin that. He's scene. got his but dumb gang together, and he puts he has, on yeah, a projector, he and he goes, "Here's some skulls. I want them. I want yeah, them here's, bad." Here's what's crazy: is he's like, "All right, here are the skulls," and there's two of them, and he holds up the one. And he's like, "When we get them, we'll be all powerful." And the one mob boss is like, "Well, you only have the one," and he's like, "Well, if you get two, it'll show you where the third one is." And he's like, "Well, you only have the Still one." Only have the one. <laughs> and then he changes the slide. To that fucking Zang Brotherhood tattoo. Yeah, and, he's like, and then that's it. He's like, he's like, th- that's how we'll do it. Anyway, and then he cuts to the last slide in his three-slide presentation, which is his own company's logo. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, gotta brand that shit insane. And so they close it, and it's like his gang is uh, Remar, the Zang Brotherhood guy, yeah. Catherine Zeta Jones, who never again is with her female pilots. Nope. So I guess she just lets her gang go. Just bails. The p- chief of police who is crooked. Yeah. And then two mobsters, question mark? <laughs> One of whom says he won't do it, and his reasoning at first is he was an altar boy. And then he stands up and says, uh, I only believe in making money by extortion or something. Right. So it's like, wait, are you morally opposed religiously or <laughs> because you want to just like run prostitution? It's very vague why you're angry. Yeah. And Drax then throws a spear into him. Uh-huh. It is quite the scene. And again, as over the top as a person can be, but not to be outdone. He outdoes himself in the next scene he's in when they find out that the Jade skull, cause there's three skulls, silver, Jade and gold mm-hmm. that the Jade skull is actually in the New York museum where Kit goes to get it and just breaks a display in front of everybody to take it right as Drax appears. And then the most insane, like, all right, they put the two skulls in the bag. Break it down. And and they start smoking. And to which the one guy says, something is happening, which I appreciated that even the writer was like, I don't fucking know. I kind of progress this plot. What's a good line for that? Yeah. Uh, something's happening. We'll fill it in later. We'll, we'll come up with something on the day of the filming. Oh, shit, we didn't. Oh, well. So uh, he pulls them out, and he is, like, so excited. He's, you know, he's like, it's happening right here, right now. And then... What uh, a treat. God damn it. Uh, and then there's basically, like, uh, a light show as if there's just a bunch of really bright lights on the other side of a wall that has a design cut in it. And he's standing there, and he just keeps going, it's beautiful, but nothing is happening. Like, all that happens is, for some reason, a huge number of stained glass windows, which I don't know where this museum got stained glass windows, because they're usually inside of churches, and the churches usually don't lend them out. (laughs) But they all shatter. But that's all that happens. But he's like, it's beautiful. I don't know if they were like, we're going to do something in post. There's going to be a great special effect. And then they got there and they were like, ooh, we ooh. spent all of our money on those heads floating up. We got some windows. <laughs> yeah, I, so it's crazy. And then it just shoots onto a map, which made me ask, what happened if they were in a room with no map? I wrote the same note down. Additionally, uh, at this point, uh, the Phantom has been captured. Kit or whatever has been captured, as has Diana. They're both captured by about two thugs tops, which you've seen him beat up in spades throughout the, the, the beginning of this movie. But even when they're cowering, no guns pointed on him, hiding from the skull. He has he just does not attempt anything. 
I mean, this is the perfect time for an escape. I was waiting for him to just like kick a guy or like do a flip or push him over or just leave when they're 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 cowering yeah. their hats. But he just sort of anything. Yeah, nothing. So they, they it shines on the map to which we later find out that Treat Williams climbed up there to get the longitude and latitude. Because he has to go back and get his own cartographer's map out right? and figure out where this thing went. That so, makes a lot of sense. Also, by the way, this is all happening about four o'clock in the afternoon. Yes, in in a museum that was full of people, and he, a recognizable CEO and and a prominent man in the community, comes in with just thugs, just dudes in in leather coats and guns, and just literally says that he's museum security. Yeah, and a bunch. Of, then, he, then he tells the. Uh, I'm not lying to you, audience. He tells the people of the museum, "There's sandwiches in the other room. I'm Treat Williams." Okay, he doesn't say that. Yeah, either. it is crazy. He's like, "There's sandwiches and ice cream in the modern art section." And everyone's like, goes, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> and everybody goes to leave. And as they're leaving, I'm like, "There's not a child in this whole museum." Like, I just I didn't realize it till he brought it up, but. Just, Why are there no kids in this museum? Just forty-eight-year-old man being like fucking sandwiches. Let's yeah, a do bunch it. Of, a bunch of guys on dates. It looked like. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they go back to Drax's house, and for some reason, they're going to take uh, Kit Walker up to the roof to kill him instead of just killing him where he is. Right. And uh, he escapes and hides in uh, the, the like the mechanical room and quickly dresses into his. Oh my god! Yeah, he was. He had to have been wearing that under his clothes or something. Yes. So he he dresses into his phantom outfit. At this point, too, he realizes that Remar is the man who killed his father. And uh, he... I'm not even sure how to describe what happens. Remar and and two uh, of the guards show up, and they go into this room where they know he's stuck. And he... The two guys are walking next to each other, and all of a sudden, just an ass and some legs come out of nowhere. Yep. And, like, wrap around them, and then they, like, fall over. So I don't know if he just blew, like, a really offensive fart, or he just has, like, really strong leg muscles, like that James Bond villain. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, like the, the Natalia or whatever her name yeah, is. Yeah, Femke Jansen, I think, was who played her or it's whatever. It's super weird. Uh, the whole thing is super weird, because on top of on top of, uh, uh, of doing that with his legs, which is bizarre, he runs into this utility room alone in a kind of like a not populated area and where there shouldn't be anybody and he takes his own clothes off and leaves them on the floor and the villains yes. come in and he goes and oh. the villains see them and the villains are like oh is he naked and then he he chokes him out with his legs and but leaves the guy alive i mean he that's the worst like bruce wayne batman balance i've ever seen until until the next few scenes in which he tells every villain within a 10 foot radius his secret. <laughs> it, it his he's not great. He's not good at anything. Yeah, so he's bad he, at fights. He gets trucks to like 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 ride him off of cliffs. He gets caught. He gets captured. He doesn't escape. He fights poorly, and then he tells everyone his secret. Yeah, it is also crazy. He uh he goes to leave because they take Diana because she's the phantom insurance because they know she's in love with him. He uh. He rides down an elevator in the least dramatic scene in cinema history. He runs outside, uh, gets in the cab for the cabbie, who's his friend, who, who followed them. But the cabbie freaks out, even after he explains that he's friends with Kit Walker. The police show up. He runs away, gets on a police horse, and then ends up in, I guess, the Central Park Zoo, in which this cop can ex- expertly navigate the zoo to know this is exactly where he came in, and there's a tiger cage. 
And also, I guess Phantom can control tigers? A zoo with no security. I mean, he he just dives through a bush and he's in the tiger cage. Yeah, which I was like, if that's all it takes, that is shockingly dangerous. And then the police just kind of like drive up to the gate, which just has a like a pull bar lock. That, that like, yeah. nothing else. And I'm like, oh my god, Like, how are these animals still in their cages? That was the real mystery of the movie, was why didn't that tiger just walk out the back of the enclosure? So he ends up meeting up with the, the taxi driver, drives into the docks where they're taking off their pontoon boat, and he swims out to get on it. And then the cabbie says, I love this city. I don't really understand why. I guess because he's like made, he just made more in a week driving that guy around for two days in diamonds than he will in the rest of his life. But the Phantom then holds onto an airplane from a flight from New York City to the, the Devil's Vortex, which appears to be at least yeah. in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, he flies on a plane for at least about nine hours. Uh, Just on the outside of it, holding onto it, and yeah. appears to fall asleep because when they start to like land, he almost falls off of the plane as if it wakes him up and he rolls off the plane. It is insane. Can so you they, imagine the terror in falling asleep while clinging to a pontoon above the Atlantic Ocean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's insane. So they arrive, they go into... You should be saying insane. I don't know why you keep saying insane. It's insane that they arrive. <laughs> uh, they get to the the climax of this film takes place in what turns out to be the Zhang Brotherhood's secret fortress. Incorrect. It turns out to be in a prequel to the Mortal Kombat film. That is true because it turns out the head of the Zhang Brotherhood is Shang Tsung. Shang Tsung. Yeah, that's right. You may remember him from Mortal Kombat. And I don't think Mortal Kombat it, Annihilation. To be clear, I don't mean that it's just it's just the actor, because it is. It is 100% the actor, too. I should point that out. It's yeah. not just Asian guy and we're being racist. Yeah, no, 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 no. It, it, it is the actor. Uh, it's around the time that movie came out, so he looks the same. But more importantly, he's dressed the same. Like, a little more piratey, but he has, like, intense facial hair, which I know he doesn't have in the movie. But the actual Shang Tsung in the Mortal Kombat game does have this facial hair. So he looks just like him. He also talks and gestures like him. Yeah, I mean, I know that's his voice, but he's not trying at all to not sound no. like the voice he did in Mortal Kombat. He's Mortal, he is Shang Tsung in that scene, and I was so fucking pumped. There's also another great thing in that scene, which is when they establish that it's like some sort of... It looks like a World War II torpedo loading station that also has like an 1800s whaling boat partially inside of it that's been partially like broken apart. But swimming around in a pool of water is uh, tandem sharks. Two sharks that are swimming, one, so close to the surface you can see their fins, but two, less than a foot and a half apart. And their fins can't be more than six inches. Also, so these sharks, these sharks must be like baby tiger sharks. Like, they not, must be so small. Also, not, not shark fins props. They're definitely dolphins. They look like fucking dolphins instantly. And not even like a little bit. I'm like, that's a dolphin. The minute I saw it, I'm like, if they have trained killer dolphins in their cool Goonies, like, World War II cave, again, a second time, don't give me this movie. Give me that movie. <laughs> give me the movie with these guys in it. That's yeah, it is shocking, that. like, how little the Sang Brotherhood is even remotely. Like, all of a sudden, they're just like, oh, yeah, they're the Phantom's mortal enemy. And you're like, oh, okay. So uh, a series of events happen once they meet Shang Tsung. 
which is not his name in the movie. I have no idea what his name was. Can you just uh, edit this podcast down to just you saying a series of events happen and that's just all we release? Yeah, it's just 30 seconds. Anyway. Series of events happen. And then Xander Drax gives oh my God. the most insane speech. Oh, my God. Ha- first of all, his name, which he spells, and then ask for the name of Shang Tsung, who, which I didn't even pay attention to what he said. And then he goes on this speech about how he has the two skulls and he'll just take the third skull and they can be a partnership and all this stuff. And then the mobster like sells them out because Shang Tsung's just going to kill them. And, you know, Drax is like, people know we're here. An army will show up, blah, blah, blah. And the mobster who all of a sudden I was like, wait, what the fuck? Why is the mobster with them? Yeah, is there I don't understand why he's there. But it's like an he, Italian mafia guy who's just like traversed to the Bermuda Triangle to like for fuck knows what. Yeah, and he pulls a, a pistol out of uh, an ankle holster, which means he was, like, searched by the laziest person of all time. Right. But he's, like, gonna – he's, like, you get me out of here. You can do whatever you want or whatever. And then Shang Tsung says something in, in whatever language he speaks, and he says, what's that mean? And it says, fire the cannon. And then they point a cannon at this guy and light a fuse, which then takes 10 seconds. And this dude makes no effort to fire his gun to run. He just stands there till a cannonball flies out and hits him in the chest and kills him. It was the most Hanna-Barbera shit I've ever seen. And to be clear, if, if in your mind you pictured a grisly death where a cannonball passes through a person, no. Picture instead a man bouncing around the room like yeah, a Yeah, picture ball. a mannequin that gets hit by something and then spins like a top in the air until it flies into some water. Picture like a scene from an episode of Mythbusters where they're testing a cannon myth and they shoot it like a prop guy. Yeah, they shoot at their, their like a prop like mannequin. Guy. Yeah. Uh, it's absurd. His cartoonish, oh, good, what? And then just, oh, and then just gets And again, another scene that takes so long that you're just like, no, it needed to be instant for that to work. He should have just, like, they should have lit the cannon, and then he should have said, what's that mean? And then the cannon should have shot him, and he should have said, it means fire the cannon after the guy's dead. Someone needed to fire this editor. But also, that fucking speech that Treat gives, I just, I want to yell about it for a fucking second, because Treat walks in, Fucking Xander has no no plan. I don't think he knew that Brotherhood was here. He did not. He just rolls in. They give their guns away, I think. And yeah, then, well, because the guys, as they get out of the boat, point like nine guns at them. Yeah, and they give up their weapons. And he walks into this room with this terrifying, like, pirate leader and was like, Hey, pirate, a person known to steal things for his own gain. I have two of the three skulls that are incredibly valuable. You want to let me have the third? And he well, says, he's like, like, he's like, let's be partners. But he also knows because earlier in his PowerPoint presentation, he points out that the Sang Brotherhood has been trying to get these three skulls together for like 400 years. And he just brought them too. And he's like, and then he says, I'll take the cities and shit and you can just hang out here. He's the shittiest villain. And then yeah, he says he'll manage the modern era. And then he yeah, and then he changes his opinion or his deal like four times because it doesn't work. Obviously, it doesn't fucking work. The guy says exactly what I'm thinking, which is like, how about I just kill you four weird Italian guys from New York and take your skulls? And then his response is, but you hate the f-. his 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 henchman's like ah uh, the Phantom's an asshole, right? I I killed him. Or but yeah, he's, they're like everybody. he's still around, but I killed him. And then and, and then even the guy's like, we've all killed him. So it's like, oh, so then, why are you scared of him? If you then, know he can be yeah. shot repeatedly. And then Xandra's like, uh, well, we got this girl. She, like, I guess is bone in the Phantom. Do you want her? Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's like, he's like, he has like, no plan. 
He's like, this could be your revenge and all this stuff. And then uh, Sang Sung's like, ooh, the, the Phantom has good taste. And he's like, oh, physical pleasure. I left that one off the list. And like, that's the way he says it. Like, it's just insane. You yeah. really, you really should. It's on Netflix. You it's, should watch just the scenes. Like, fast forward anytime Treat Williams isn't on the screen. Yeah. Just watch the most bizarre choices you'll ever see an actor make. Watch my man Treat do a one man improv show. Where it th- feels like Treat Williams was trying to do his version of The Devil's Advocate, uh, <laughs> Al Pacino, where it's just all monologues. Yeah. But he didn't have any good writing, and he's not a good actor. So after like twelve. 12 attempts at, at bad deals, all of which could be resolved with the pirate guy being, what if I just shot you? How about that? Uh, again, more shitty fight scenes <laughs> happen. I get this movie is boring. I was on my phone 80%. Oh yeah. Also, we forgot to mention though, at one point, uh, Diana tells, uh, what's her name? Catherine Zeta Jones. Don't you care about anything? It to which turns Catherine Zeta Jones into a good guy. Yeah, that's all it took was one person being like, "Don't you care about anything?" Because without any redeemable scene in which she like does something to like save the day, she just sort of is at the end like, "Hey guys, let's let's I'll fly around. Let's hang." Well, on. she says uh, when they get there, us girls got to stick together, and then at the end, she sides with the Phantom and Diane. That's it. Yep. But it's like insane. So basically, what ends up happening is the Phantom shows up and he points to to Remar and he's like, "You killed my father." And you're like, they're like, oh, that's how the Phantom works. He's just the son of the dead Phantom. Right. So, like you said, he explains, like, the whole, the Phantom is built on the idea that it's scary that he cannot die, that he's immortal, and that makes him scary. He straight up is like, no, it's, we're not immortal. We, we, you can just shoot me right now and I'm dead. Yeah. But anyways. When and you then, tell all the villains that you're not immortal, it's like Batman being like, I'm not, I just have a lot of money and gadgets. I'm not yeah. actually that scary. Yeah, it'd just be like if he's like, hi, my name's Bruce. Yeah, you're just... You're, 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 you're really putting it on Front Street. You're flushing, like, 400 years of mythos just, like, down the zane. And and you're just... God damn it, man. <laughs> you, had, you had to have that one, like, exploded. <laughs> and you're just... And he, he tells that to the pirate, which he then kills. So at least you could be like, all right. So he well, was he just... He jumps down and has, again, one of the most boring fight scenes. And the women are fighting and it's boring. And he shoots guns out of everybody's hands, but then just doesn't shoot them. Then gets in a really boring fight with Shang Tsung in which he pushes him into the water next to the dolphin sharks. And Shang Tsung, it's, just, it's so sad to watch an actor have to pretend like he's being attacked. In water that you know only comes up to his waist. Yeah, he's just like splashing in a kiddie pool, being like, oh, dolphin props! Fuck. Yeah, he's like, ah! And then he goes underwater, and then 10 gallons worth of red, like unnatural red, comes up to imply that he's being eaten by these sharks. And I guess you're to assume that's the end of the Sang Brotherhood. <laughs> but now Treat Williams has stolen the third skull. Uh, and then things get fucking bonkers to wrap yeah, this goddamn movie up. Holy there's like shit. a submarine that they get into oh that's here, and the Phantom and uh, Remar get in a fight, and then Xander attaches the three skulls, and we find out that there's a fourth skull that can control them, which is just introduced in the last three minutes of the movie. And then, and which you're instantly when they're like, "There's a fourth skull," it's like, "Gee, I wonder if it's on the guy who is literally 
dripping in skulls. Like, one of those has to be the skull. Which makes his skull motif make more sense. He's like, I think I'll need a skull to solve this skull mystery. I'll just wear every skull thing I got, and maybe one of them's the right skull thing. Guess what? The ring is, and he uses it to shoot lasers. I'm not lying to the audience. He shoots a blue laser at the red skull's green lasers, or the red skull. (laughs) He's not in this movie. That'd be a better... Okay, by the way, Treat Williams, Treat Williams should definitely be the red skull. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Yeah, Xander assembles the three skulls. It was just... He, it's not clear what they're going to do. Because earlier yes. he says it, 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 it creates it's an... Unlimited ex- power. And then before that, he says it creates an explosion, unlike like a bomb. Which yes. is not what it does. It makes a laser beam. It makes green Which, lasers when hits out. When hits Remar, because the Phantom pushes him, and he accidentally gets hit. So I, I don't know if the Phantom ever actually kills anybody, because I think Shang Tsung actually, like falls backwards while trying to avoid a slash and that's I don't know. That kind of... seems that still seems pretty fucked up. I it seems a little I'm pretty sure he definitely killed him. Okay, well this guy runs in and gets hit and is turned to dust and Treat Williams acts like it did so, I mean like that's impressive, but dude you're just standing there. Anyone could just shoot you. Like it's not that powerful. So he shoots the laser at the Phantom, who blocks it with his ring, and then there is like an insane like DBZ like Kamehameha versus uh, whatever the the laser beam that Vegeta did, yep. where they're like they're like it. moving back and forth, and there's a scene where like Treat Williams is like on his tiptoes and like leaned at like a forty five degree angle. Yep, and he yells like, "What does he yell? Like magnificent or something?" And the laser comes up and blows up the skulls and Treat Williams, and then the Phantom rides a chain out that's attached to the submarine question mark. Yeah, you know one of those submarine started. chains. The su- <laughs> It, it's crazy. And so then, yeah, it's the whole thing did not make sense. And then they're just like in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean in a sub. Yeah. So I'm like, how? where are they going from there? But so the movie ends with them back in Bengali. Uh, she says that she knows that he's Kit Walker. He kisses her and lets her go. And then the, the dad comes back for a voiceover to be like, but she oh, no, wait. come back. You're skipping over my favorite line in the movie. My favorite line in the movie, which is he says after taking his mask off and sort of being like, I know you already kind of knew because it's really fucking obvious that I'm Kit Walker. Yeah, because I make no attempt to disguise my voice. Yeah, or my appearance or anything. And I also took my clothes off in a room in which only I was in and then a phantom came out. Yeah, also my lips are extremely noticeable. Also, I tell everyone who I am. But, but also he takes the mask off and says and kisses her and says something about how. The Phantom's only supposed to reveal his secrets to the woman that he's going to marry, which is a weird rule. Um, and then she looks back and goes, oh, yeah? Well, like, what if I refuse the, you? And he says, well, no one refuses the Phantom, <laughs> which I feel like he should have followed up with you, like, you know, because of the implication. Yeah, like, or he should have <laughs> been like, nobody refuses the Phantom. Hey, does this rag smell like chloroform to you? But you, it, it reminded me, I don't know if you're a fan of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, when when Dennis is describing he wants to bring women onto a boat that they have and then put the moves on them when they're out in the ocean because they can't say no. And he keeps saying, because of the implication. And the other person's like, oh, what does that mean? You're going to force them? He goes, no, 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 no. I'm not going to force them. But they have to, you know, because of the implication. <laughs> and they're all like, ew, that's gross. That's all I felt in the scene was him being like, you can't refuse the Phantom. I just took my mask off we have to get married and have a child who will then take up the mantle of a suicidal enterprise. It is like, 
the ending is crazy because then she leaves with Catherine Zeta-Jones, who may or may not be a lesbian. I, they never really... She sure seems like it in this movie because that's what the writers sure wanted to think about. Because that's what it feels like because they... She, although I guess she's sort of interested in the Phantom, but and it's just like she has like an all-woman gang. So I was like, oh, is that like... At first I was like, is that what it's going to be? Like they're... And I was like, what a weird thing to put in a movie. And then they never address it. So I was like, I guess they're just an all-woman gang. Again, ears. better movie. Yeah, so they leave... And as they're flying away, the dad comes back and gives a speech about how luckily Diane knew what she wanted and she would come back to the Phantom, blah, blah, blah. And you could tell that they were, like, setting it up to be like, that's the next movie. Yeah. It's like, you know, she's going to come back and they'll get married, but there'll be another adventure. Yeah, and it is – and again, you're just like, wait, is the dead father talking to us or is he, like, talking to the Phantom right now? (laughs) You're going to hurt yourself. Just don't don't even – it was – yeah, it was definitely – the ending made about as much sense as the beginning. All in all, uh, that's pretty much it. Although there was uh, – was there anything you wanted to talk about that we missed? No, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty done talking about the Phantom. There was one thing I wanted to bring up was the scene where uh, we find out just how evil Treat Williams is. Uh, he, he realizes that the guy he talks to at the library has been telling the newspaper that what he's looking at. So he invites him up to look into a microscope. Oh, God, yeah. And when you turn the dials to, uh, like, you know, focus it, knives come out and stab him in the eyes. A, I don't know how you look into a thing and don't see the knives. I B, also, that doesn't kill a person. No, and he starts screaming. That's that's awful. And Street Williams just breaks his glasses and says, you won't need these. But then I'm like, what's to stop that guy from going to the police? Yeah, and also, what, is, what, is, what does Xander do now? Does he just, like, like, stand there and be like, oh, you're still alive? Oh yeah, ew. he's just like screaming. Does he bring the secretary in and be like, "Can you walk him down, get him a cab, take him to the hospital?" Yeah, I it was a very bizarre proof. scene. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, it's pretty inhumane. Inhumane. It's pretty inhumane. God. I <laughs> uh, I I think it's no more inhumane than us watching this movie. No, it wasn't. Uh, but we did it. We did it for you. I hope that you got an image of this movie, and I hope that you also talk to me in the comment section about how much you want this movie where the Catherine Zeta-Jones, like, lesbian fighter pilots take on the Shang Tsung pirates from the sea yes. in the battle. And that would be the best movie. Sort of like a time. sky captain in the world of tomorrow. Yeah, but not shitty, you know. Yeah, well, I, that, that goes without saying. Right. <laughs> God, that's not based on a comic, is it? I don't. If it is, we have to end the podcast because I don't <laughs> want to watch it. It's, have you ever seen it? No, but I, it's not great. Stylistically anyway, great. Only one shitty movie per podcast, and that makes it uh, the end for this one. Yeah, so I, I would – you wouldn't recommend seeing this, right? No, I would not. It's very boring and not fun. Uh, I would say uh, since it's on Netflix and if you have a Netflix account, I would go and just watch just like the Treat Williams scenes. Especially the the last – you don't have to watch anything after they get the skull. Just watch the scene where he tries to barter with Shang Tsung. Uh, you can follow Ben at, at the, the Disco, Disco Pony. Pony. Yes. Uh, and you know the rest. And then you can go ahead and follow Pogues at all of his social media. you, you got to check out his excellent artwork. Instagram at It's Pogues. Uh, and, of course, please leave your comments, questions, corrections on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash NAOSpod, or you can tweet at NAOSpod and leave us comments. We'll read them on the next mini-episode next week, where we'll also tell you the next movie up for us to either suffer through or possibly maybe enjoy, but let's face it, that's probably not that likely. We're here, we're here to suffer for you. 
We are. Somebody has to, guys, so that you can be reminded never to watch The Phantom. Well, that's it for this episode, so we'll see you next week. And remember, slam evil. <laughs> Always slam evil. <laughs>